Welcome to Bollywood is for Lovers. I'm Erin Fraser. And I'm Matt Bowes. In this episode, we're joined by musician and playback singer Sasha Tirpati, who will be performing later this month at Bollywood Monster Mashup, Canada's largest South Asian festival, happening July 21st and 22nd in Mississauga. Sasha will also be appearing alongside performers Ash King and Ashwarya Pandit during an IG meet-and-greet with Bollywood Monster Mashup on July 9th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Before we begin, we would like to respectfully acknowledge that we record this podcast on Treaty 6 territory, home to First Nations and Métis people. Welcome, uh, Sasha Tirupati, to uh, Bollywood is for Lovers. Um, Thank you for coming on today, and uh, it's going to be really interesting to hear from a playback artist as to how that aspect of the biz works. Um, it's interesting because a lot of our fans and listeners, they're huge fans of like the big ballads. Mm-hmm. But since we don't actually speak Hindi, we're more of the dance tracks people because like the poetry of the words doesn't always come through in the um, in the translation and the subtitles at the bottom. So mm-hmm. question one, I was wondering like, uh, which, which which is your favorite kind of song to do? Like a like a big love ballad, or maybe like a fun I don't know running around in the village type thing, or maybe like a dance track. Like, well, what's your actual preferred style? It's actually a great question. I think it's so subjective. A lot mm-hmm. of times, like my heart is I, I I'm a hardcore romantic, so my heart is with you know melody. But certain times there's that beautiful and that perfect. Um, amalgamation of melody with a dance track I think um like if, if you even if you listen to and this is not Bollywood but if you listen to the Skrillex and Diplo um and this is just so you can relate to what I'm trying to say here um if you listen to the Skrillex Diplo Bieber track where are you now um you know where are you now that I need you when you listen to that there's just such a beautiful mix of melody plus it's got that trap you know um production on it um you can dance to it but at the same time there's just so much soul to it so um Mm -hmm. you know in bollywood as well there's just such a wide plethora of content that's being generated obviously there's there's the -the run-of-the-mill stuff but then on the other side there are composers um and record labels who kind of work together to create things that are not um you know as typical as bollywood would probably be identified yeah. as and uh that kind of music really catches my attention so you know there's there's um obviously you're aware of A.R. Rahman sir um mm-hmm. who I've had the the honor of working with but besides him I've also worked with Amit Rivedi and Amit is one of those composers Rahman sir is one of those composers who um will do that beautiful balance between something that has not been heard and doing something that they would like to do and kind of bringing everything together in what the audiences want. Mm -hmm. And that is where that perfect amalgamation comes through. And that's where listeners like myself kind of dig um, that sort of Bollywood music for sure. And then of course there are dance tracks that I love that are, you know, super commercial, but (laughs) it's about where my heart is. Those are fun. Those are the, those are the ones I'll listen to on the bus usually do it, that kind of thing. Or like, there's so many different kinds of songs that you get, like, I'm thinking like in Mom, which you worked on, right? Wasn't there like a track where um, uh, Sri Devi is kind of exploring and like getting clues and stuff? Like, how do you try and get like the idea of solving a mystery into singing a song? Like that love song, sure, dance song, sure, but like like a narrative song. Those are some of my favorites as well. I think it's also to set the stage for what's going to happen next, you know? 
foreshadowing per se. So I think a lot of times the songs, the way they're incorporated into a scenario, um, it's to give a sense of what's to be expected. Um, mm -hmm. Also, besides that, I feel um, us as, as Indians or myself being of Indian origin, I think we are more on the emotional side. So I feel the best way for, for people to, I'm not saying you guys aren't emotional. I'm just saying we're very, you know, that's why there's a song for every emotion here. And that's why yeah. every movie has, has, you know, multiple songs for multiple emotions. It's just how we kind of were, were wired um, genetically. So I feel to kind of, and I feel film directors and producers kind of, you know, really know how to tap into that. Um, mm -hmm. And so a lot of times, that's probably the reason why we have songs in our movies, uh, because what is a better way of establishing an emotion than music, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's why I feel, in a, coming back to your question, when they have a Sri Devi film and, you know, they've, they've got a song for the situation you're describing, I can see how, um, like, I can wrap my head around that and I can see why mm -hmm. it's there. I'm not saying it's always the most... Um, intelligent thing to do I'm not saying it's always the most um obvious thing to do for sure <laughs> but um I guess I guess uh, like like I said I think it's more to tap into the sentimentality of Indian yeah. sentiments and Indian emotion to kind of um get a point across and like the character what she's feeling at that moment is you know yeah yeah she you know she just met Nawaz that day and uh, they're trying to figure <laughs> yeah. out this thing so yeah, like uh, just putting yourself into the character. So like, do you, do you like I, because as far as I understand it, you're often doing the songs before the movie's finished. Like how much of a sense of the film story do you get when you're working on these a lot of the time? Different, again, different composers work very differently. Most mm. composers though, um, they'll not tell you anything. They'll just be, they'll call mm. you at two in the morning, three in the morning, maybe three in the afternoon, whatever, depending on when they work. Um, and uh, they'll just tell you that, hey, so there's a song and uh, this is the kind of mood that we want. Or, you know, can you sing it like this or can you sing it like that? And they start recording. So, I That's mean, 90% cool. of the times, yeah, we don't know who we're singing for. We don't know what the project is. But then there are also composers um, who will give you a very de detailed idea of what you're kind of um, contributing to probably because they come from a different school of thought. Maybe to them, it's about if the singer or if the person who's carrying the song in their voice, if they are informed and if they're aware of what the premise of what they're singing is, then they will probably be able to, I don't know, emote better or they'll be able to perform the song better. Um, and I, I actually, it's, it's, it's come to a point where I'm, I'm on autopilot now. Um, <laughs> if, yeah. If they tell me great, if they don't tell me greater. <laughs> well, they're going to, they're going to know like your voice will be good for this particular uh -huh. project and you can, sure, you, can yeah. you, you can hit the emotions that they're looking for regardless of like knowing the plot of the movie. Well, I'd like to believe that's how they feel. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so you grew up in uh, BC. So what was your experience with uh, Hindi cinema, Indian Indian movies? Like, what was that like growing up? I I feel like I come from an era, or or I was born um, into an era where I I had the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. I got to listen to a lot of great music on audio cassettes. I got to listen to a lot of great music on physical CDs. Um, I got to listen to the radio. I got to sing on the radio. And then obviously when everything kind of digitalized, I got that. And I'm kind of, um, that's what I'm 
feeding off of today. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I feel it was just great to be born into a household where both my parents um, were so excruciatingly, if I may, <laughs> passionate about music. Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's so funny because now when I sing, my father would hear like an off note and he'd be like, and oh my God, and he would, he would, disintegrate my songs he'd be like you you were strained there I can hear that strain oh I hear the pitching's a little off and he will just decimate me so I mean I think um that's that's how and and it's very it's it's very um I feel they're blessed that way because both in in both of their families music was was like it was taboo it was banned mm -hmm. my father would would get like my my grandfather would take a slipper and and you know aim for my father if he'd ever hear my father coming huh. a note wow. so yeah I think and and I think a lot of times um I don't know if that's how it is in the west even though I did grow up in the west but um just culturally I don't know if if it is that you know parents live vicariously through their children mm -hmm. um so I don't know if that kind of applied it, it does apply a lot in South Asian families and so I feel my parents kind of did that with me mm -hmm. um particularly my father um he he loves music he um he he drank music he slept music he just like his his world revolved around music and um when I started learning classical music he would know more of the ragas than I would eventually mm. <laughs> so um I, so I think part of the passion with which they um kind of pursued mu music with me if I may um I think part of it came from the fact that they were so deprived of that when they were growing up and mm. um they were trying to live a musical life uh in in its in its entirety uh through their child through their eldest child being me you definitely see movies where like the dad wanted to be a poet or something and his son is trying to become a poet so there's like a friction there like well i could have done that you know but i had to go to work so yeah that kind of wanting to live vicariously through your children that that makes a lot of sense but uh what what made you take the decision to make this your career like you come from a uh, household where people are music fans enjoying it but what what made you take that big step into becoming a professional okay there was one incident particularly or one song that kind of uh was the catalyst but uh at the same time it it, it was just so many years of so passionately pursuing something um beyond other other things that I was passionate about so I, I I was a swimmer I was um studying towards becoming a neurosurgeon wow. um I wanted to be a journalist at one point so I I started studying um mass media then I was uh, I was I was an academic in so many ways I mean wow. I won the governor general's um a medallion for scoring the highest in BC I guess um nice. so I got I got multiple scholarships into university so the thing is I mean that is something I I did want to study I did want to become um like I said a neurosurgeon at one point um and there were like a hundred other things that I wanted to do and the ADHD helped because I mean we can't you know we cannot concentrate on one thing and and one thing is never enough um, but then there was this yeah, Aaron, one. Erin is nodding sagely. You, you can't see her, but she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with this sensation. Thank you. But for me, a lot of, I started writing um, or actually releasing music that I've written uh, in 2019, um, which is not too far ago, not too long ago. But um, 
I was writing my own music since I was 12. And a lot of the things that I would write about would be the things that I'm not able to talk to people about. Or a lot of things that I would write about would be um, things that I did want to talk about, but I had such a hard time expressing because the words never came out right when I spoke in that moment. But then the moment I had a t- I, I had the opportunity to actually sit down and organize my thoughts on paper, um, they would just make so much more sense. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's one of the things which kind of gave me a very soft corner for independent music, as well as the desire to continue pursuing it. So I'll talk about that later. You come from writing your own songs at 12 years old to working yeah. with Raman. Like, how does that, how does that happen? Um, so they're, they're mutually exclusive. Um, they, they actually don't have anything to do with them, with, with each other, but huh. with Raman, sir, what happened is that, sorry, the previous question you were asking me that links to the next question, which is, um, <laughs> um, so basically I did drop out, um, of, of my higher education because there was an A.R. Rahman track that I heard, um, mm-hmm. and that was from the movie Guru and the song oh, was yeah. called, yep. the song is called Tere, Tere Um, so it started with a dum da 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 that song it just it changed my life it, it created some sort of a chemical reaction and 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 a chemical reaction as you know is irreversible so <laughs> at that point i was just like okay this this is what i want to do that that was the the making or breaking point for me and or the tipping point for me and i kind of locked myself up in my bedroom and i told my parents that screw the scholarships i'm going to go and sing for this guy and i wanted to sing for the movies at that point and i just everything kind of happened after this the song i actually took a flight to toronto um because i heard that they were having the premiere for the movie and um i spent quite a bit of money to actually get there because I just found out and there were no flights available and apparently I'd missed A.R. Rahman sir by minutes uh, wow. when, I, when I got there and I mean who was to think that 12 years later I was going to be in his studio recording for him uh, but that was the point where I I dropped out I I kind of in a way running away from home because my parents were not happy um Obviously, again, another part of the South Asian culture is, you know, your daughter, your your son and daughter have to be doctors and engineers and, you know, whatnots. Yeah. So <laughs> um, their daughter wanting to become a singer, not a stable job, not a stable career. You know, you're not going to be making stable money. All of those concerns. And I can completely understand where it, where it comes from. Um, you know, from the parents' point of view. So they weren't very happy. But then, yes, when I won the national award is when my father texted me for the first time saying, I'm speechless. Hmm. So I, I feel for me that was a, that that those those two words from my father were like a Grammy. Um, when, when you know, I, I had won the national award, I, I felt that was a bigger award than, you know, the national award for me. But straight um, out of a movie, that's crazy. <laughs> I know, right? And Bollywood is for lovers. Yeah. Um, so, um, so that that so with Rahman sir, what happened is that after I took that step of coming to India, uh, to Mumbai particularly, uh, I started doing a lot of ad films, jingles, um, all that jazz, just the things that would get kind of pay the bills. And at the time, 
ad films actually paid a lot of money. So um, I, I started, I was on the road for three nights. I didn't have a house, didn't know anybody. I was on a reality show prior to. So basically I, I made it into the top 12, got eliminated, didn't have a place after that. While I was on the reality show, I did have, they did provide accommodation, but it was after I got out of there that I had nothing. So um, finally found a place, um, did my first show and ended up paying for my first month of rent and the deposit and the brokerage and everything. I did my first jingle and, and ended up getting money to actually eat. Before that, I'd walk seven, eight kilometers a day um, just to save three rupees. You could do the math, three Indian rupees on, you know, a meal. Um, So it was tough times, but I wouldn't change a thing about that. I actually lived two and a half hours away by train from Mumbai and I would commute every day because rent was cheaper there. So all of this into, you know, getting your first ad film, into getting your first gig, into getting, you know, um, your first playback which is a complete flop and Mm. into your next 17 film songs that are all utter flops so (laughs) nothing was happening basically um, except except for that you know um that my bills were getting paid because of the ad work I was doing um and then it was Ramanser that happened after those 17 flop films um I was told by a friend who I had actually done a jingle for that Ramanser was auditioning for Coke Studio Mm. and I was, uh, long story short, again, there's just so many particulars, but I, I hate doing this. Um, I showed up for the, <laughs> I showed up for the auditions and I had a sore throat. So I was like, oh, I totally screwed this. Um, I did such a terrible job at that audition. And it's so funny. I I got selected. <laughs> so I was like, I should always keep a bad throat. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I, um, I reached for, um, I, I reached the uh, the rehearsals after my selection. Um, and during rehearsals, there were seven girls who were selected out of, I think, 35, 40 girls who had auditioned. And randomly in between, in between the, the rehearsals, Ramanser just looked towards us, um, this little group of seven girls. And he's like, which one of you is Sasha? And I thought, okay, you blew it. He heard the rehearsal audio again, sorry, the, the audition audio again. And he's like, oh shit, she's a mistake. And now he's asking who's Sasha so he could pick me out and be like, get out of here. <laughs> you, you were an accident. So I didn't raise my hand. I'm just like, I, I, I'm literally hiding behind the other girls. <laughs> you know, do not point towards me. Do not tell him who Sasha is. And one of the girls just like, you know, big mouth. She's saying, sir, she's like right here. Um, <laughs> so I raised my pinky and I was like, it's me. And that's it. Like, he's, he's so quiet. He doesn't, he doesn't react. And that was bothering me. Um, I went home that night. He didn't say a word, Ramanzer. Um, I got home and I puked. Mm. I could not sleep yeah. all night. I passed out in the washroom because I was like, this is that one opportunity I had to work with the person I left everything for, my scholarships, my education, and everything. And he's going to kick me out today. So um, I don't know when I woke up. I do realize I, I, I woke up in the bathroom um, got up I had a very bad stomach ache I reached the shoot location which was and we I think we had the shoot the, the next day and I think that was the day d-day when he was going to kick me out so I just reached the shoot location um got ready got on the sets everybody was there Ramanser was there and there was just one window I had where he just crossed by me for his makeup touch-up and I was like it's now or never I got up during the shoot um when when there was a cut and I, I just excused myself. I asked him, sir, very sorry to bother you. Real quick question. Why did you ask 
who Sasha was yesterday. I was like, I cannot sleep. I could not sleep um, after he said that. Is it something I I, I f***ed up at? I said, I'll, I'll work my ass off, but I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to fix this. Um, he started laughing. He's like, no, my assistants played me your voice. And I felt your voice sounded like an instrument. <laughs> and that led to another... Um, hurricane of thoughts which was that okay so I'm replaceable <laughs> what if he calls that instrumentalist and that instrument to like replace me and then you know he doesn't need me after that and then I never end up singing for him because you know it's the instrumentalist who's gonna play so that led to that and then I think a month afterwards he didn't fire me a month afterwards um it was around three four in the morning um I was sick again and middle of the night I got a call at around 3 30 and I was croaking and I picked up the call just thinking it's going to be a call for a recording and I'm not going to be able to make it. I picked up and some girl um, on the phone at the time, she's like, uh, hi, I'm calling from Iyad Rahman's office. This is Srinidhi. And Rahman, sir, would like to try your voice for some songs. So can you fly down to Chennai right now? <laughs> it was like, what? <laughs> so that was basically where my life changed that was a re that was not a long story short guys i'm so sorry oh no that's fine it's a great story why, i'm just wondering why everyone calls you at three in the morning why, <laughs> is it just the artistic temperament of like oh i have to compose my songs at night and oh i just thought of her like let's is that is that how the creative process goes with him so the thing is um I think a lot of us are just, you know, perpetual nocturnal animals. Uh, Ramanser being one, myself being one. I used to study at night, practice at night. Even when I was a kid, I used to do that, actually. It's funny. <laughs> but then there are other composers who actually prefer recording in the mornings, and that doesn't sit well with me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but I mean, I, I obviously, if I have to, I'll go and record in the morning. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's different for different composers. For 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 somebody like I can I can speak on my behalf. Um, I feel just at night you're you're at peace. I prefer the dark. I I just um, you know I I like it when I'm not seen. I like it when you know there's not there's not too much of a which is kind of ironic because you know we're on stage and the spotlight's on us. But yeah. I think that's. And I think it's that contrast that, you know, kind of makes us feel more secure when we're in the dark and when we're, you know, just in, in that silence of the night. And, you know, you could think there's more clarity, um, not visual clarity, but clarity in the mind, artistic yeah. clarity, I guess. Um, and I think maybe Rahmansir feels that way as well. And it's just more silent. Maybe also, you know, being in, in India. Well, I mean, I was like this in Canada as well. But in India, there's just so much noise everywhere that I think finally at night, you don't hear horns honking. You don't hear, you know, dogs and cats and buffaloes and all of that, I think. Um, not that there's buffaloes everywhere, but I'm, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but I think just, <laughs> just that peace you find um, in, the, in, in the nights, I think that kind of allows you to put everything else aside and actually music's like meditation so mm. I think that kind of helps bringing you into um that meditative state if that makes sense at all yeah, I assume no, it's also so cooler in the evening yeah it's not so hot yeah. out so that makes sense too ah, yeah. yeah that's really actually yeah uh so speaking about working with uh you know these auteur um composer types uh how do you adapt to singing in different languages in different film industries is there different codes of conduct for uh, the different industries or is it all sort of the same gig? It's different, actually. Um, it's it's different, yet it's not. But yeah, it is different. The cultures are very different. The attitude is very different. I've noticed um, 
not that they're not humble in Bollywood, but I've just noticed that, you know, when you, the moment you hit, hit the South, um, mm -hmm. people are just more like, they're very physically humble. So, you know, they're very slouched, you know, they're, they're very, um, it's, it's as if they're surrendering themselves to you. Um, mm -hmm. And these can be the biggest artists who have the same, you know, level of humility that, you know, an, an, a budding or an emerging artist would have. And so, or, or you would expect them to have. So um, there's just a, and they're very grounded and they, they talk to you, um, you know, very, the, the tone is different. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so the working environment becomes very different, you know, um, mm -hmm. they kind of expect that humility from you as well. And you, versus over here, I think it's more about, you know, the confidence mm -hmm. and, you know, being carrying that confidence where you go. I think that's, that's, a, if, if there was one way I could, I were to dis distinguish between, um, just the the environment of you know working in different industries and if i were to divide it into the northern industry and the southern in industry this is how it would be but in terms of the process i think obviously with different vernaculars um i i'm an autodidact for the most of it but for languages that i don't uh i've, I've picked up on quite a a bit of the 13 14 languages i sing in but mm -hmm. i'm obviously i'm not i'm not fluent in them but i would like to consider myself to be a very good listener, <laughs> though you would not agree with me right now because we're in an interview, but um, I, I am. And I think when, when they explain pronunciations for, you know, um, the, the lyrics of a song, I try my best to be as <clears throat> attentive to the nuances of what they're trying to tell me, um, mm -hmm. just so that I have my diction right when I'm um, singing or performing the song behind the microphone. So um, I feel anybody, if you're a good listener, you can definitely um, sing in any language you want, um, just to be able to listen and replicate what you're listening to. That's fascinating. Like, yeah. I, I, it, it seems like such a disconnect for me to not actually speak the language, but to just pick it up on it, like phonetically. That's that's amazing, actually. And right. to interpret it with emotion. Yeah, like to actually make it sound like you're the character going through this thing that like without Speaking of that's just, yeah, mm -hmm. that's astounding. Well, I think, I think if you've gone through the amount of heartbreak I've gone through, I think you would do, you would do a better job at it. Trust me. <laughs> Did you tell A.R. Rahman that you were, you were like seconds away from meeting him in Toronto? I think I did. Yes. I think the first time I met him, I told him that. So I, so I think to the extent that I told him I, I spent um, 500 bucks or something, a hundred dollars. I don't know, sorry, $500 or a thousand dollars from, I don't even remember now, but, um, I, I told him like a particular figure basically that, you know, I spent this much money just to come and see you. And I missed you by like a couple of seconds. He's like, don't worry, I'll write you a check for double the amount. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like 500,000 bucks. That'd be a lot in, uh, in rupees as well. So, um, you were talking a little bit about your, your own work, but is it, is there a different process for you when you're working on a song that you've made yourself rather than one you're doing for a, a movie or an ad or something? Like, is it, it, you were talking about how it kind of helps center you and you can kind of have a meditative state to us, but like, what, what's it like doing your own stuff? Um, so they're, they're definitely, um, they're, they're like night and day, hmm. uh, for, for starters, when you're singing for somebody else, like a composer, um, more often than not, they're pretty much set with, uh, the, the key of the song. And, you know, a lot of the instruments are already dubbed 
a lot of times the male singers already tracked on the song. So you're stuck in a particular key, which mm-hmm. could or could not be in your comfort range. So for starters, when I'm writing my own songs, um, I choose the key I want to sing in. So okay. it could be, and, and it's funny because um, a lot of the songs that I've sung for various film industries, um, most of them are beyond my range. So they, I am literally struggling with a sore throat for the next one week after singing, you know, almost any song I've sung for the films because they're so high. Um, <laughs> and I end up screeching in the studio and I could get the job done, yes. But then after that, I'm just, I'm battling that, you know, that abuse that I put my, or that I subject my voice to um, in the recording studio. So that's one advantage of doing your own music, which is, um, you know, you, you could sing in a comfortable key. And I think that is one thing that makes it more, so coming to the next point, it, it just makes it more, organic when you're singing in a in a studio for a composer when you're singing in a key that is not entirely comfortable for you you're unable to concentrate on the emotion of the song and your concentration is more on being able to hit those notes Mm -hmm. when you're doing your own stuff though you're not constant you don't have to worry about the key of the song so where is your attention then your attention (laughs) says the girl ADD um your attention is basically on um emoting and on meaning the words and feeling what you're saying and and telling people that hey this is how I'm feeling at at this point about the song or about these words or about what I'm trying to express here so um I think that is that is the primary difference between um at, at least for me when I'm singing you know a song for a commissioned job versus when I'm singing something which is independently written um but other than that obviously the third and and I think uh an umbrella uh, statement here would be the fact that when it's independent and by independent, I mean, you've written the, the, the melody, you've written the lyrics, you've, you're, you're singing all of that um, kind of all, all together compressed into one, then it's your baby. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, you clothe it the way you want to clothe it. You, you know, send it to whatever school you want to, you want to send it to you, you feed it, whatever you want to feed it. It's, it's your baby. You can do whatever you want with it. So, um, then it's entirely your work of art and your creation versus you seeing a melody that's been composed by somebody else, lyrics that have been written by somebody else, um, you know, a scale that has already been set by the composer or the music producer or whoever, um, that's been done by somebody else. So basically, you're you're like, you know, um, you're like a surrogate. So mm-hmm. I feel, or or you're like a stepmom, actually, um, in, in that situation. So um, I feel... That is the primary difference I feel when it comes to, but but again, I mean, you still have an attachment because the component you you still have a component of yourself as a part of that song and as a significant part of that song because you're carrying those lyrics and that melody in your voice. Yeah. So you you obviously have an attachment and you have an emotion towards, but then that becomes um, that it's just a, a limited emotion versus an emotion where you can go wild with everything. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You're not uh, being asked to hit uh, Lata Mangeshkar high notes or something. <laughs> so you focus on your own. Right. Your own totally. That's, that's actually a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Also, I mean, yes. comparing it to surrogacy, Mimi was the perfect project for you. I know. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
I like how you're so aware. I mean, you guys, you guys have really um, studied me. <laughs> if I we may. watched a lot of movies that you've uh, worked on. Yes. So, yeah. But mostly in the Hindi, in the Hindi, in the Hindi sphere. In yeah, Hindi yeah. cinema sphere. Yeah. Last question. Is there anyone in any industry, really, that uh, you'd love to work with uh, that you haven't been uh, attached to? Or is there like a dream project that you'd love to work on? Oh, my God, there's so many. Um, I mean, I, I to begin with, I feel so blessed and I feel um, extremely, extremely um, privileged that I've had, you know, the the honor and the opportunity of working with uh, some of the biggest composers in in the country and internationally. Um, you know, Rahman Sir being one um, one of them. Um, He's won, I don't know, multiple Grammys and an Oscar and, and whatnot. So um, having worked with him, then there's his, um, the person who Ramansar used to work with, uh, which was Ilya Rajasar. So I've sung for him. Then there's Mithun, there's Amitrivedi, there's Shankar Asan Loy. Um, Shankar sir just got his honorary doctorate from, um, I don't know, from London. I, I forgot which institute, but uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's been insane to be working with all of these people who, you know, I used to listen to on my little MP3 player. Uh, but then, you know, there, there are so many more. It's, I, I remember telling my mother that, you know, I'm just going to go there. I'm going to get one hit song and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to finish my medical, um, you know, studies. It's a never ending hunger and never-ending thirst you get that one song and then you want to do another song and then you want to do 10 more songs and then next thing you know it you're 3,000 songs old Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's that is how it is when it comes to wanting to work with people as well um you know I wanted to do one song with Rehmanser and then I ended up doing like 40 songs with him um Mm -hmm. similarly when it comes to composers um Ajay Atul are composers I really, I've, I actually did record a song with them, but the song hasn't released or I don't know if, if the movie's been shelved or, you know, what eventually happened to that. But Ajay Atul are, um, you know, a duo that I would, oh my God, that I'm, I'm still, Sanjay Leela Bhansali is another one who yeah, I am dying to work with, dying to work with. Um, yeah. And again, growing up listening to him with mm-hmm. Devdas and of course Shreya Ghoshal and um, she's she's like my virtual guru um, and then there is Vishal Shekhar who I really want to work with um, they've they've been very kind with putting my work out and and just you know sharing and talking about things I've been doing but I want to work with them as well for the film industry um, but if there is an international artist that I would really like to work with that would be um, Bonnie Bear uh, I actually flew to Glasgow to watch them live uh, mm last year in October, October, November, something like that. So they are artists that, and um, of course, Justin Vernon uh, from Bon Iver. I, I, I don't know what I would, you know, <laughs> do to, to work with them. Um, they're incredible. And I just feel their soul. I connect with their soul. So um, yeah, these are the artists that I, I want to work with. But yeah, Bollywood, you, you kind of know who I want to work with. Now. Yeah. And I suppose have- it never gets old seeing your song picturized too right like when you go watch the movie like do you uh-huh. get to about like a preview screening or like how does that work now i'm just curious like, uh, yeah. like at what point do you actually see the whole picture uh, this is actually it's an interesting question because um 
sometimes we are called to our to our screenings and the the premieres sometimes we're not a lot of times though more often than not um we actually find out that our song is in the film once the song comes out mm. so when hamma came out i didn't even know that my song was in the movie mm. i randomly saw a notification from the youtube channel on which on which the song was uploaded and i saw my name there and then i was like oh <laughs> i have sung on this song <laughs> yeah we just watched that one like 5 minutes ago before talking to you like yeah. oh that was a fun scene and um oh, if you yeah, do the thing going to happen yeah. that's going to be a little weird like oh it's like a bedroom scene interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i also just want to quickly plug that you have a beautiful interpretation of bonnie bear's perth um oh my god thank you i i i was i was listening to you yesterday it's it's absolutely gorgeous Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so God, it would be amazing to hear you collaborate with them, I think. Yeah, it'd be a real meeting. That, made, that, work that well. made my week. So uh, last up here, uh, what can uh, the audience expect when you're at uh, Bollywood Monster Mashup uh, this July? A lot of masala. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yep. A lot of that Indian Bollywood spice is what they can expect. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like kind of party jams, do you think? Is it going to be like a huge dance floor or some breaks for some ballads or... Do you have a set list? Yeah, I actually do. Um there is going to be a lot of um we've we've got an amalgamation of a lot of Bollywood um electronic dance music and then mm-hmm. the typical Punjabi dance music from Bollywood and then of course we've got some of the um so we've got a little bit for everybody like there's there's something in it for everybody. We've got some old numbers um Ashaji, Lataji um revamped <laughs> and um we've we i think there's just yeah there's just a lot of different um a lot of variety that we're going and of course i'm going to be covering some of my own songs as well so those are ballads mostly um you can definitely expect a bit of hamma you can definitely expect a bit of ashaji you can definitely yeah. expect um a bit of vishal shekhar and rahman sir and pritam and and jazzy b everybody's there yeah. <laughs> there you go yeah. it's going to be a party any of that asha uh, disco stuff in the 70s that's that's some of my face so oh yeah. Yeah, that's definitely there i'm happy Wait, yeah <laughs> oh my god uh, so good talking to both of you thank you yeah. so much thank you very much sasha and um you know thanks for coming on and uh, you know um have a good time in uh, the gta <clears throat> and, uh-huh. thank you uh, very much <laughs> yeah thanks again thank you yeah mausam ki barish yeah barish ka pani yo guys my name's ash king and i'm coming live for the bollywood monster mashup ash king singer barish Shasha Tirupati, singer of the Hama song. Ashwarya Pandit, singer of Bate Bate. July 21 and 22, Mississauga Celebration Square. At the largest South Asian festival in Canada, Bollywood Monster Masha. Free concerts presented by TD. Food, shopping, July 21 and 22. For prizes, enter lovers at BollywoodMonsterMashup.com. So thanks so much to Sasha Tirupati for uh, speaking with us. Um, we've got some events coming up for Bollywood Monster Mashup. Yeah, so the main festival will be July 21st and 22nd in Mississauga. But if you're not in the greater Toronto area, you can still catch Sasha uh, and Bollywood Monster Mashup at their uh, IG, their Instagram meet and greet on July 9th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that's, you know, it's on Instagram so everyone in the world can, can show up and hang out. 
Yeah, that's 9.30 uh, IST if you're in India and you want to check it out. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, we will be back in a couple weeks. And uh, what, what's it going to be, Matt? We already have this one recorded. This is exciting. This is weird. <laughs> we're, we're ahead of things. We don't usually do this, but uh, we're ahead of schedule. Uh, we are doing pilot season again. Yeah. So uh, as you may have noticed, there hasn't been any good movies yeah. all year not from since, Patan. Yeah, not since Patan. And and Bola. We kind of We like Bola. Bola. Yeah, we'll talk about Bola yeah. in our mid-year. But um, yeah, we decided to watch the first episode of uh, six different uh, new Hindi shows. Mm-hmm. And we will pick uh, one to watch. Yeah, we're going to pick one to review. In the meantime, Matt, how can people keep up with the show? At Bollywood Pod on Twitter. I'm at Matt underscore B-O-W-E-S. I'm at Erin E. Fraser, E-R-N-E-F-R-A-S-E-R. If you're a fan of the show, please leave us a star rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. If that review is not on Apple Podcasts, then uh, just shoot us a message so we we make sure to see it. Uh, You can also listen to my other show that I do with Paul Matwichuk. We just recorded an episode uh, on Cormac McCarthy films, so all the pretty horses and the counselor. Your favorite movie. You made me rewatch The Counselor. Uh, I liked it. So that, that'll be out soon. Uh, and we want to thank Becca Dulkey for our artwork. We love our good boy, Tuffy. 